Well, let me give you a word before you get on with the rest of your day. So grab your Bible, or you can listen to me as I read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version, but you can follow silently in whatever version you happen to have in front of you. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Love this passage because it gives us a very keen insight into who our Savior is. There are two questions that I want to answer in this message. The first is, why did Jesus go to a wedding? The other is, and when he got there, why did he turn water into wine. Of all the things we know him to do as our miraculous Savior, why would he show up at a wedding period, and why, when he gets there, would he turn water into wine as, by the way, his first miracle on earth? The first miracle Jesus uh, worked when he was here in the 33 years that he was on earth, this is the very first miracle that he performed. Why did he go to the wedding? Glad you asked the question. <laughs> Let me answer the question for you. Jesus went to the wedding because he was invited to the wedding. Isn't that a deep answer? <laughs> but it's true. The reason he went to the wedding is because they invited him to come. What that tells you is my subject. We have to learn to invite Jesus into everything. Sadly, many people think Jesus came to start a religion. He absolutely did not. Starting a religion was not what brought Jesus to earth. He came to earth because we desperately need a, a, a salvation that we cannot give ourselves so he came to bridge the gap between sinful man and a holy God. And he came, you know, you who understand the gospel message, 
know that he, when he hung on that cross, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is the great exchange. The cross is the great exchange. He took your sins in mind and he gave us God's righteousness through Jesus Christ so that we now have the standing of righteous people. That's why he came. He didn't come to start a religion. Religion is man's idea. And frankly, it's a bad idea. He came to bridge the gap and to start a real relationship. The relationship is ongoing. When you give your life to the Lord, that's not the end. Okay, I finally got saved. No, that's the beginning of a journey with the Lord so that he can lead you into everything that is part of his plan for your life. And we need then to invite him into everything. Now, when you study the movements of Jesus in the scriptures, what you'll find is that there are times Jesus invaded situations and invaded people's lives. One example is in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus was teaching and, and performing miracles, and so he was attracting crowds. And as the crowd grew one day, as he walked along in Galilee, Jesus found that the crowd was so large, he needed a better vantage point from which to speak to them. At the time, he is near the seashore, and he sees a couple of boats, and, out, and the boats are empty because the fishermen have gotten out of the boat, and they are on the shore washing their nets, washing their nets. And so Jesus, being the invading Jesus he can be, got into one of their boats, the boat belonging to Simon Peter, gets in the boat, and after invading this guy's space in his boat, he yells out to him, come push this boat back, back a little ways for me. I need to use it as a pulpit. I've got a, I've got a crowd here, and I need to use where we are as a natural amphitheater so that I can preach some good news to these people. Come push out for me. And Simon did it. I'm sure Simon's like, I don't believe this guy just got in my boat without my permission. But that's how Jesus is. He is sovereign. You know what sovereign means? It means you don't have to answer to anybody. You can do exactly what you want. Never think that your free will, which is a gift from God, is the same as sovereignty. Free will is a temporary gift whereby you can make certain choices, but you are never sovereign because one day every, every one of us will give an account of our lives to the Lord. If you have to give an account, you're not sovereign. Jesus is the only sovereign, and he truly can make decisions. There is no higher court of arbitration anyone can appeal to. And I want you to understand that Jesus sovereignly chose that moment to teach Peter who he was. It resulted in further the miracle of the, of the massive catch of fish. And you know that story. I don't have the time to get into that. My point is sometimes Jesus is very comfortable invading our lives. I'll bet there are some people here whose lives have been rather invaded. If you're like a lot of Christians, you got saved one day as a result of being in a church service or a rally or, or whatever, evangelistic crusade, whatever it was, and somebody gave an altar call and you responded, yes, I want to ask the Lord into my life. 
and that's the way many people get saved. But I'm sure there are some of you here that experience the invasive power of God, and you found the Lord more or less invading your life. I'll bet there are some of you who got saved on a day you never thought you would get saved. You didn't go to an event or have a conversation designed to get you converted, but it's just the way God did it. And so we're not unfamiliar with God being invasive in our lives. In fact, we ought to thank God sometimes that he has loved us enough to invade situations we didn't even have the sense to invite him into. But although he can invade our lives, I simply want to point out to you that the best way to experience the supernatural power of God on a somewhat regular basis is for you to learn to invite him into everything in your life. Don't wait for an, in, uh, an invasion. Don't hope for an invasion. Don't say, wow, I wish God would show up and just do something. No, don't sit back and hope. Why don't you invite him into everything in your life? Because my, the premise of this message is that God responds to us because of our faith to invite him into situations. Let me just give you one example as you study the scriptures, you'll see it happen time and time again. There's one example I want to point out to you. It is found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 15. What happened there is it's also found in Mark's gospel chapter 7. You will find a Canaanite woman. This is not a woman of Israel. This is a Gentile woman. But she has a problem in her life that needs a supernatural solution. She doesn't know anything else other than she's heard about this guy named Jesus. She understands that he is the king of the Jews. He is the leader of the Jews. Some of them consider him their Messiah. And so her mindset as a Gentile in her day would have been the, the Jewish Messiah certainly didn't come to address any needs I or other Gentiles have. But I have heard this guy has the ability to do anything. I need a, I need a God-sized solution to a problem I have, so I'm going to go to him even though I'm not Jewish. And she does. I love what happens because when she gets to Jesus, not knowing as a Gentile she has the right to ask him anything, she steps up boldly and she says, please, she asks him, please have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She, can, she doesn't have control of herself. It throws her around. It keeps her from living a normal, productive life. And I need you, please, sir, help my daughter. What Jesus does is gives her a quick two-part exam. That's not in the text, but it's exactly what happens. He gives her a two-part exam. The first part of the exam is what I call the insulting, the ignoring, I'm sorry, the ignoring part of the exam. When she makes the plea I just shared with you, the Bible says he answered her not a word. Now, I want you to think about this and put yourself in that woman's position. You're a Gentile. You're not sure this Jewish rabbi, he would have been considered in his day. You're not sure that he will give you uh, the miracle you're seeking. But based on everything you've heard about him, you think he's kind and compassionate 
So you would certainly expect an answer even if the answer is no. Well, the Bible says Jesus tested her. I believe it was a test because he answered her not a word. I think there are some people in this room right now who would have failed the first part of the test because you would have thought, wait a minute, I might not be a Jewish woman, but at least he ought to give me the dignity of a response. Even if the answer is no, tell me something. I am a person. I am an individual. I do have a right for you to respond to me. And so some of you would have been incensed. Some of you would have sent out Facebook messages or tweets or something and told people, how dare this man ignore me? Instead, the Bible says she kept asking. She didn't worry about being ignored. She kept on asking, please have mercy on my child. She passed the first part of the test. Then he turns the page and gives her the second page of the test. The second page is the insulting part of the test. Because when he does speak up, he has said nothing to this point, but she passed the ignoring because she continues to ask. Do you know, by the way, that the Bible says, ask and it shall be given. But if you look at the Greek in which the, the, the uh, Gospels were written, the language in which it was written, the tense is progressive. It means ask continually and it will be given. Seek continually and you will find. Knock continually and the door will be open. That teaches us we have to be diligent seekers of God not casual seekers. Well, I asked him once and he didn't say anything. Keep asking. That's what the woman did. Continue to ask. Continue to plead with him. So now he's going to give her the second part. I call it the insulting part. When he does speak up, here's what he says. Well, wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Did you hear that? dogs. You know some of you, if you had made it through the first part of the exam, that part would have got you. Because a lot of you would have said, wait, what? Did he, did he just call me a dog? Did I hear right? Did he say it's not right to take the kids' bread and give it to dogs? In this situation, I must be the dog. What's worse, my daughter is being called a dog. Now, you know, some of you, the way you love your kids, that would have been that. I don't care about the miracle. All I need to do is give this man a piece of my mind, and I'm out of here. I love what she does. She shows you her faith is tenacious because her response is, well, Okay, let's stick with your dog, bread, kids analogy. Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall when the children are eating in a sloppy manner at the, at the table and food fell, falls to the floor. No one bothers the dogs when they go after the crumbs on the ground. That was her response. When Jesus saw the faith of a response like that, because what she's saying is, okay, 
Okay, even if I'm the dog in this story, I ought to have the same right that natural dogs have. When the kids are eating sloppy and food is falling from the table to the floor, no one bothers the kids. No, no one bothers when they eat like that. No one bothers the dogs when they come and lap up whatever has fallen to the ground. She's saying, so all I'm asking you for is some crumbs of blessing because I believe there's enough power in you that the crumbs have the healing my daughter needs. When she said that, Jesus said, woman, great is your faith. You know what that means? A plus on the test. And she got exactly what she needed. I just came to tell you, you and I need to do that in the 21st century. We need to be like that lady in the first century A.D., not take no for an answer, invite Jesus into everything and walk by faith and believe him to supernaturally intervene in areas where you feel like there's no other hope. Fortunately, when you have Jesus, you don't need any other hope because he has the ability to get you through any tri trial, any test, any difficulty he can handle in your life. Here's the way I put it. I want to encourage you to invite Jesus into all of the details, all of the decisions, and all of the drama of your life. Everybody listening to this message, you have those three things. You all have details you need the Lord to intervene in. You all have decisions you need the Lord to help you make. And you all have drama in your life. I need you to know that the drama in your life is because you live on planet Earth. Don't think there's anything special that you have drama. It's called welcome to Earth. There's drama as we live our lives. All kinds of things come up. There are challenges we don't know how to deal with. There are situations we find it difficult to face. We deal with uh, relational challenges uh, in our families of origin and our families that we create after we get grown. Our, we have relationship challenges and drama on our jobs, in our communities, in school, wherever you are, drama is going to exist. Some of you have financial trauma in your life. Some of you have all kinds of situations that come up and you don't know what to do. I want to encourage you, invite Jesus into all of the details, all the decisions, all of the drama in your life. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I want to encourage you to invite Jesus into everything. Don't leave Jesus in a little spiritual corner of your life. One of the big mistakes we make in Christianity today is we teach people that Jesus has come into your heart by faith. I no longer use that language. There's nothing wrong with the language, but I'm trying to paint a different picture because we're dealing with folks who weren't necessarily raised in Sunday school. And so this whole idea of Jesus in the heart, they don't get it. And the problem is many people not even knowing where the heart is, if you tell them that oh, Jesus comes into your heart and let him into your heart, you, you end up living like, yeah, he's in this little private spiritual space somewhere inside of you and it activates on Sunday 
And some people, the Jesus part of their life is the Sunday part of their life. I came to tell you, get rid of that motif altogether. Jesus didn't come to hang out with you for an hour on Sunday. You don't need him that much on Sunday. These people aren't going to treat you that badly that you need him on Sunday. You know when you need him? When you leave church. From Sunday afternoon till the following Sunday morning, you need Jesus. You need him everywhere you go. You need him in everything you got to do. You got, him, you got decisions you need him to help you make. You got details you need him to help you plan. And you certainly have drama where you need the intervening power of God. You got to drive on these freeways, H1. You need Jesus. I've been on H1 quite a bit. I've come here since 1999. On H1, you need Jesus with you. People cutting you off and zooming and zamming, all like that. You need the Lord. You need him on your job. You need him in your family when your kids start acting crazy. Grandkids, some of you have. You need Jesus in the everydayness of your life. Don't leave Jesus for Sunday. That's the easy day. You know, because, you know, we, we, we came up with that in the church somewhere along the line. The Lord's Day is Sunday. Hey, let me give you a quick history. The reason why that happened in the early church, they began to, to worship God on the first day of the week, is they were trying to honor the fact that his resurrection took place on the first day of the week. Those who were Jews, most of the early uh, disciples, of course, were Jewish. And so their mindset was the Sabbath is the holy day. So when the resurrection takes place, and you have both Jews and then later Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God through accepting Christ as their Savior, then they turned to the practice of honoring the day of his resurrection. But let me just tell you something. Jesus is in your life not just for a holy day, whether you call it Saturday or Sunday. I don't fight with people who, who want to debate what day should we worship. Jesus said in John 4, the hour is coming. In fact, it's here now when, you, it, when it doesn't matter where you worship or when you worship. It matters how you worship. You worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Fact is, you guys could have worship services at 3.31 on Wednesday afternoon if that worked out for everybody's schedule. God wouldn't care that it's not on Sunday because what he's looking for are worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. And the fact of the matter is you need him every day of your life. You need him to not only invade, don't wait for an invasion, invite him into every part of your life so that he can do a work in you. Trust him with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. Not only acknowledge him, but invite him and he will direct your path. Jesus doesn't then just want to be a resident in your life. He came to be the president of your life. Not just a resident, but the president. He comes to be in charge. I'm in charge of everything. Because when you give it all to him, you will find his miracle working power is available to you in the everydayness of your life. Doesn't matter what you need, Jesus can guide you in or implement the solution to whatever it is you need. Doesn't matter what it is. He can get you from where you are 
to where you ought to be. Here's the way I like to put it. Jesus is the original GPS. The original GPS. I'm so glad for, for smartphones and modern technology, the smart devices we have. I love it because when I have to go somewhere I've never been, I don't have to ask people how to get there. Y'all remember the old days when you had to trust that somebody knew what they were talking about when they told you how to get where you've never been? And, you know, you would always run into these people and say, well, uh, go down, let's see. you're going to go down from where you are about, oh, you're going to go down about a quarter of a mile, and you'll see this tree. <laughs> you know, I, I got so sick of that kind of stuff. And so now we have a device. All you got to do is put in the destination because it already knows where you are. And you put in where you need to go, and then you, you let it begin to do its work. And the next thing you know, two things happen. You hear a voice and you see a map, a screen. The voice represents the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into every truth for our lives, not just doctrinal truth, but practical truth. The voice is the Holy Spirit and the map is the word of God. Thy word is a a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. He's the original GPS. And the Lord by his word and by his spirit can get you from where you are to where you're supposed to be in every area of your life. Now, here's the reason why I love this analogy of him as the original GPS, because he knows that we don't always pay attention to the directions we receive. He knows that sometimes when you're driving, you're busy talking to somebody else and you're laughing and talking in the car or you're listening to the radio or whatever it is. And sometimes the voice is speaking, but you don't hear it or the map is showing you, but you don't look at it. And if you're like me, there have been more than a few times when you were supposed to make a turn and you shot right by. Oh, no, no, I need you to be honest. Some Let me see some honest hands. I have not paid attention at times to the GPS and to the direct. Thank you for the honesty. Pray for the people that didn't put their hands up. Because we all know that they did it too. They just don't want to admit to it at the moment. Here's the good thing. God never rebukes you and stops leading you because you blow it. You miss it. You don't pay attention. You have never, and and just like the the, the natural uh, navigation system, you've never in your life heard your navigation system fuss at you because you didn't take the right turn. No, never in your life have you heard the voice say, now you know good and well I didn't tell you to go down that street. I told you to turn right back a half mile ago and you still going somewhere I never told you to go. That doesn't happen. You never heard the voice say, fine, since you want to drive where you want, tell you what, I'm going to stop talking and let's just see where you end up. That doesn't happen. Instead, if you look at the screen, you'll see the word recalculating. You know what that means? That means it realizes that you missed a turn. It realizes you didn't make the best decision, but it's still committed to getting you from where you are now, even if that's somewhere you shouldn't be. It's still committed to getting you from here to your destiny. God is the original GPS. 
He's committed to getting you to the place where his glory is revealed in your life. And all you got to do is when I recognize I've missed it, own it, let him recalculate and let him get you to your destiny. No, it would have been better to take uh, the direct route by following all the right decisions. But if you're like me, there have been times when you took the scenic route. But the good news is God is still committed to getting you to the place of your divine destiny. That's why you got to learn to invite him in into everything. Even into the water, wine situations, yes. Why did Jesus care about the water? The, the fact that there was no more wine? He cared because it mattered to the people. The bridegroom and his bride, it mattered that this is a festive celebratory uh, situation and it would have been embarrassing for them to run out of wine. So when Jesus' mother, who was serving kind of as a coordinator of this wedding, when she comes to him and says, there's no more wine, he says, what do I have to do with that? He didn't, she did, I love it. She didn't get into a debate with her son as to whether her time, his time had come. She knew she bore him as a result of a miraculous thing. She knew that she was chosen to bring him onto the earth to do a mighty work, and she was not going to get into theology. Uh, theology with him as to whether his time had come. She simply told the people there, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she left. That's what you got to learn to do. Leave Jesus with your stuff. Leave him with your drama. Leave him with your details. Leave him with the decision. Whatever you want to do, I'm down with Jesus. And watch what he will do. Just came to tell somebody Learn to invite him into everything, not just your Sunday stuff, not just your Christian stuff. Let him have every area of your life. If you do, you'll see the miracle working power of God manifested in your life. I want to pray, but I want to know who I'm praying for. How many of you, as I've shared these remarks, would say, you know, I'm thinking about some things in my life right now. They really do need supernatural intervention. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know the right decision to make. I don't know how to deal with these details. Or I have drama, whether it is I need physical healing, I need supernatural direction, I need financial blessing, I need God to intervene in a significant way. And pastor, because I've heard this message, I'm inspired today to give those things that I'm thinking about right now to the Lord and invite him into that. If that's you, I want to know I'm praying for you. Raise your hand so I can know I'm praying. Oh, good. We got a lot of drama in here. <laughs> good news is Jesus is built for what we need. Let's give it to him. Not only now, but the rest of your life. Give it all to him. Don't worry that somebody might say, oh, you're a fanatic. We need to figure this out. We need to use our brain power. You've already used that. It's not working. Now you got to learn to give it to Jesus. And I'm a witness. He can take it and work supernaturally in your life. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I bless this audience. I bless their receiving of this word. And I pray, dear God, that you will truly let this be the first day of the rest of their lives in which they're going to invite you not into some things, but into everything. Thank you in advance for your supernatural move 
in their lives for your glory. Amen. God bless you.